63% of students are experiencing sexual violence on campus in one way or another. I guess we could call it sexual harassment. That's a big number. That's something we're going to be dealing with today. We're also going to be looking at the fact that Walt Disney World is getting rid of all those personalized bricks. Ever been to Disney? You can buy a brick. They'll put your name on it. They're getting rid of those, and you don't even get your brick back. And people are complaining about this. Do you know how expensive it is to send bricks through the mail? What, you want it to be more expensive to go to Disney? No. You don't get your brick back. It was there. People walked on it. They may have read your name. If you had a funny name, they probably made fun of it. That's what happens. So, that's happening, just so you know. We are also going to be talking today about something that is happening at 3 o'clock, and that is, of course, the Bus Rapid Transit Public Participation Meeting, the PPM. And that will come up in our next hour. So if you have any thoughts on that, you can send them through at any time. You can always reach me, Mike, at 980cfpl.ca. You can find me on Twitter at Stubbs980. We talked on Monday quite a bit about the shooting in New Zealand. And a lot that came out of it, as it always does, is the Islamic religion. And I promised on Monday... You know what? I can't necessarily answer when people say, well, it says in the Quran this. And, well, the law states this. And this means this. I can't answer those. I'm going to be straight up with you. I haven't read the Bible. And I haven't read the Quran. I've read parts, but I'm not an expert. I'm not a theologian. So I don't pretend to be one. But what I wanted to do was at least give an opportunity for rebuttal against some of those things that we hear that I don't, I struggle to believe are true. I struggle to believe are interpreted that way because you can take any religious text and you can take things out of it and say, that's what that means. Mm, It's open to interpretation. That's what they're there for. They're open to interpretation. And sometimes those interpretations have led to things. Well, today we are going to invite Imam Abd al-Fatah Twakal into the studio and we'll talk about some of the things that are said in the Islamic religion or in the Quran. And we're going to talk about what the reality actually is so that maybe we have a better understanding. And here's the only thing that I ask, because you would not believe some of the emails that I got. I'm sorry if I didn't answer them. Some of them I didn't even know what to say. Where are you getting your information? So I didn't answer them. I answered some, but I didn't answer all of them. Where are you getting this? But here's all I ask. Please keep an open mind. 20 minutes. That's it. 20 minutes. We'll do it in a half hour from now. 20 minutes of open mind. Just listen. That's all. That's all I ask. We are also on the show today going to be talking with the man who gave this to the world. Tune in volume and bloom and I'm blossoming Blowing away blockades and barricades Make you black and blue from the blast of the blaze It's a blood sport, blood builds up back I make your vision go blurry while your brain goes black Into oblivion, beats from box to box The base rocks from blocks and blocks Let your backbone slide Maestro Fresh Wes Is going to be on London Live If you were around And of an age to appreciate That When it first came out, there was nothing like it There was nothing like it. And then you found out this guy was Canadian? That's amazing. That's fantastic. Well, he's still making music. He's been doing some acting. He's an all-around great guy. 
and he will join us on London Live today. So we're looking forward to speaking with Maestro Fresh West. That'll be in about an hour and a half from now. So we've got a lot to do between now and then. Some of it very serious. Some of it, again, all I'm asking for is an open mind. That's it. And as it pertains to BRT, there is there's an interesting way to look at this. Because as much as we've got a public participation meeting, the question becomes, okay, well, we had a great big one. It was so big. It had to be moved to Budweiser Gardens. This one is at Centennial Hall. So, I mean, we're talking about big venues. This is not a room somewhere where 12 people can show up. This is big. But how many of those voices are being heard? How much of that is going to matter? And I'll play you a statement later on that I found very interesting. And it kind of changed my way of thought. Because coming out of the election, I thought, you know what? This is going to be fascinating to see how this works out. Simply because we now have some changes among city council members. Some differing views. Maybe we can find something even better. Maybe this will get even better. Maybe, yeah, we can have bus rapid transit or maybe it'll be modified in some way. But maybe they decide on something that works even better. And then the thought was, well, wait a minute. How far into it are we? How many millions of dollars have already been either allocated or spent in this? So where are we headed with this? Do we... Have all of a sudden a stream that has started to carry our boat down the river? And we're on that stream and it's already moving. So we can all stand up and say, well, here's what I'm concerned about. Here's what I'm concerned about. And then that will end. And then do we have an opportunity to change the course of that stream? I don't know. There's a lot of people who say we, we have to do this. And I think there is everybody who believes we have to do something. We have to do something. But... You know, the human condition changes, and conditioning among humans changes. We like to think we're this special creature. We're not bad. We're not bad. But we're not too different from other creatures on the planet. You can condition a rat to press a pedal and get food. We're not far away from that. We can be conditioned for various things. Look, we've been conditioned to think it's okay to spend 10 bucks a month to listen to music. Before, you would say, no, 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 I'm not spending $10 a month to do that. We've been conditioned to do it. And now it doesn't seem like anything. You want movie streaming in your house, TV show streaming? 10 bucks, 10 bucks a month. Huh. Well, we wouldn't have done that 20 years ago. We do it now. Conditioned. So... We need to be conditioned to travel around differently, and that's not happening. We're still very vehicle-centric, and that's going to continue for a little while. That's going to continue until people either move downtown, and we've got more and more opportunities to do that with some of the projects that are coming, or they get so fed up waiting through three light weights that they decide, no, forget it, I am going to do things differently. Those are the only things that push you to be conditioned differently. That rat, you know how they get them to push the pedal? They feed them. You push the pedal, you get food. Sometimes there are two pedals. Push the one on the left, look, a food pellet. Push the one on the right, that's what happens. You learn to push the one on the left. So that's what we're in the process of doing. But in this case, I'm interested to see what's said. 
I'm not going to think that it is going to be written down and acted upon for every single syllable that is uttered. And I do wonder, are we already heading in a direction? That's some thought on BRT right now. Let's, in a moment, talk about something that's going to be in the sky a little later on tonight. It is called, and I'm not making this up, and we have to double-check this with someone who is far more intelligent than I am, the full worm super moon. It will be the moon, the thing that shines in the sky every night, little reflection off the sun, there it is. But we're going to talk about the full worm, W-O-R-M, like the thing you find in the ground when it rains hard enough, the thing you find on sidewalks and on driveways because they don't want to drown, full worm super moon. Next, Max King will help us illustrate what this is and why it might be worth a look into the sky at some point later tonight as spring arrives. We are underway on a Wednesday. Maestro Fresh Wes on the show today. We're going to talk about sexual violence on campuses. We are going to talk about some of the thinking surrounding Islam. And we are also going to talk full worm supermoon. It's a full day. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Spring comes later today. Not bad. David Phillips of Environment Canada has said we're not going to get that big transition that we had last year. It's hard to remember year to year what goes on. But we had, remember that cold stretch? I think it was even into April where it was cold. And then all of a sudden it went, hi, summer, uh, where do you want me? And we were into summer. So this year, a little more gradual transition. A little bit of three degrees like we've got. A little bit of seven, maybe some 11, then some snow, but more gradual. I like that. I don't like when it switches. I love the changing of the seasons. Wouldn't you miss that? I mean, we could all try and live in San Francisco. First off, if you live in San Francisco, have you seen some of the rental issues in San Francisco? One of the latest ones is, here, I'll rent you a place, but it may not be a place. It may be more like a room. But here's what it says. $1,790. You get a room, you get a walk-in closet, you get a private entrance, but you can't cook. What do you mean I can't cook? No cooking. There will be no cooking in that house. You Like, I'm going to make some eggs in the morning. Nope. No, you are not. I'm just going to, I'll get a skillet, a little stir fry. Nope. No cooking. Stipulates that. $1,790 a month. You get the sunshine of San Francisco. San Diego's like this. LA's like that. A lot of California's like that, especially along the coast. But that's the trade-off. And you don't get the seasons. We would miss the seasons. You learn to appreciate life a lot more when you get the seasons. You know what else helps you appreciate things? Looking up and seeing spring arrive, and then looking up and seeing this gigantic moon. We get the harvest moon, and sometimes we get the super moon. You've heard about the super moon before. You've probably even seen it. It looks so big in the sky. Well, tonight, not only are we getting a super moon, we're getting a uh, full worm super moon. You know, the annual event. This can't be an annual event. I've never heard of this before. 
In fact, when I say full worm supermoon, I'm not entirely sure that I'm making any sense whatsoever. Full worm, W-O-R-M, supermoon. There's no way this is a thing. Well, when we get questions about things in the sky or things out beyond our own atmosphere or in the deepest, darkest of space, we like to call on Max King from the University of Toronto. Max, how are you? Great, Mike. How are you doing? I'm still not sure I'm saying this right. <laughs> Full worm, super moon. When I say that, do you, can you picture something in your head? Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't quite picture the moon. Yeah, it is a weird phrase for sure. What the heck but, is this? <laughs> well, uh, like you were saying, the super moon part, that makes the that makes the most sense at least. That's when the moon is closest to the earth, so it looks bigger than it might normally do on a star, on a starry night. And of course, the weird part is the phrase full worm. <laughs> so, uh full of course because it's the full moon and the worm moon is when it's the first full moon of spring. And so today, Wednesday, March 20th, is the first day of spring here in the Northern Hemisphere, and it happens to coincide with a full moon tonight. So, so the, the odds of this happening, then, aren't always great. What, what is this, like one in every 30 years? I don't know the correct number, but I'm sure that's close. Yeah, it okay. is kind of a weird coincidence. So it will line up every so often. The first day of spring doesn't have to do with the moon, so it is not always guaranteed that it would line up. Okay, so full worm is a thing, and it is the worm because it's the first full moon in March, first full moon of spring, and it comes out as tonight. Now, you did mention it. The moon is closer, and it, it can look really big. Is that a trick of the horizon, or is that simply an actual distance thing? So there's two things at play, and they're kind of both things what you said. So some, the moon's orbit is an oval, not a circle around Earth. So it's sometimes closer, sometimes farther. So we see it smaller and larger. And then sometimes when the moon is rising over the horizon, it has to pass through a lot of atmosphere before it hits your eye. And depending on what's in that atmosphere, it can have sort of a lensing effect and it can appear larger while it's close to the horizon. Okay, so it is actually a little bit bigger, but maybe not as big as it looks, because it's almost like you could reach out and, and jump across. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does look pretty enormous. Max King joining us, University <laughs> of Toronto Astronomy, as we talk about the full worm super moon. And one of the other things, Max, if, if we're able to, to chat a little bit more about space-type stuff, a couple of weeks ago, speaking of the moon, we had a government announcement that basically said, yeah, we're, we're going to get involved with, uh, with the moon, with uh, a lunar gateway. You've had a few weeks to investigate this. What exactly were they talking about then when they mentioned that? So this is the most exciting news uh, in Canadian space, in my opinion, in the past decade. So this is terrific. This is a plan that is headed by NASA, and Canada has signed on as a supporter and a contributor and it's to build a space station-like concept around the moon and have set up to go down to the lunar surface and back. And would someone, I mean, I think of the, the space station that we have had orbiting for a long time or, or the couple of space stations, yep. would this have somebody who kind of goes and hangs out there for six months and, and does some things and will always have it 
kind of with a, an astronaut or three on board? So it will quite often be manned or be have crew members on board, and which is really exciting. The current space station, the ISS, the International Space Station, is always crewed. It always has people on board. This would be self-sustaining for parts of, it life, parts of its lifetime, but for six months of the year, there would be a crew of four people or so on board, which would be really cool. Okay. Now, it, it does sound very cool. We're talking with Max King from University of Toronto about, first, the full-worm supermoon, and now, while we're talking about the moon, the fact that Canada is going to be involved in being a part of a space station that goes round and round the moon. What is there to learn from the moon? Do we have enough stuff to actually make this worthwhile? Because a lot of people are going to say, how much are you spending on this again? Well, so that always is that is always something that comes up, and that is a valid point that always should be raised. What are the costs of these missions, and what do we learn from them? And a big thing that we learn about by going to the moon in these settings, building a space station, now building a space station around the moon, is we really help to understand how humans work in space and how human beings, what do we need to survive in space? How do our machines function? Can they survive for a year, two years, 10 years in deep space? Okay, I'll take that because you know what? We're doing a pretty good job wrecking this planet that we're on right now, so we may need to do that just for the future of our species. Exactly. Ah. Now, how long does it take to construct a space station and, and have it go zooming round and round the moon? Is there a time frame on this just yet, or was it just an announcement to say, hey, we're getting started? Well, it is. there is a time frame. Of course, the time frame is sort of a concept of 20 years is the figure you have to think in, think of. And so Canada has signed on. We've confirmed a budget of, I believe, $2 billion uh, over... Uh, several over that 20 years, which is very exciting. And so it'd be built in sort of a piecemeal fashion. They're built kind of like a really big Lego set in space. <laughs> you send one module up, it connects. You send another one up a few months later, and it attaches. And you slowly build this thing over time. Well, that is it's amazing to picture. I'm glad to hear your excitement about it and the $2 billion price tag. Hey, let's face it, governments waste $2 billion throughout the year just on incidentals. So I don't think we necessarily need to worry too much about that, uh, that expenditure. And hopefully we can find out some things about ourselves that will help our species live on for a long, long time. Uh, Max, thanks so much for being a part of the show today. And enjoy the super, no, wait a minute, it's the full worm super moon four out of four you got it right <laughs> take care of yourself thanks mike have a great afternoon you too Bye -bye. that is max king university of toronto astronomy full worm super moon and then constructing a space station that will go round and round the moon and you know already somebody is trying to get elon musk maybe Hey, could we, uh, you know, every Saturday we drop some people off and uh, have them bounce around the moon a little bit? You know that somebody is in play there. You want billions of dollars? Forget governments. How about private enterprise when you get something like that up and going? That's going to be, there's going to be a marriage at some point between governments controlling space and private enterprise. Because right now they kind of work independently. But when they marry, I think we're in good shape. Eventually, hopefully, they turf the, the government side out. They can be making enough money in order to do that. We have a lot of money in the system. It's just in weird places. You know, does Mike Trout 
of the L.A. Angels? Does he like space exploration? Because when he finishes his career, depending on how much he's spending on restaurants and heat and hydro, he's going to have quite a bit of his soon-to-begin $430 million contract. You know, he could could chip in almost a quarter of what Canada's spending over a 20-year period on space exploration. People like that, honestly, I'm... I'm kind of making fun of it, but people like that are going to need places to put their money. LeBron is opening schools right now. He's got a lot of money. But there are going to be people just looking for places to put their money. I got a lot of money. What do you want to do? Oh, we're doing this space thing. Well, I've always liked space. Here. How much do I need to, uh, to get in? And that's going to happen. Okay, we're going to take a break. And then all I ask, and this is it. I don't ask for a lot, but I ask... For this, 20 minutes, just listen. Just be open-minded. I will do my best to ask questions that you may have. You can email if you would like, mike at 980cfpl.ca if there's something you want to know about. But on Monday, we started talking about Islam. And we had a lot of people saying, well, this is what it means, and this is what it says, and this is what the Quran says, and this is what it's all about. And I, I can't dispute that because... I myself am no theologian, but we're going to have a guest in studio who can help us to understand. So please, open mind, let's learn. Let's take 20 minutes and learn. Up next, we've got news with Matt Trevithick. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay. I had asked for a favor, and again, I'm not going to ask for anything for a long, long time, I promise. But open-mindedness, let's take some time and let's learn. And that's what we're going to do in about three minutes from right now. Imam Abd al-Fatah Twakal is going to join us in studio, and we're going to talk about Islamic faith. We're just going to learn. That's what we promised to do back on Monday when we got into this discussion. Before we do that, Marilyn, welcome to London Live. Hey, Marilyn. Oh, hi there. You can hear me? I sure can. I can hear the birds, too. Well, you're going to have the Iman on it. Now, am I saying that right? Imam. Iman. Okay. Well, I'm on my way out, dear, but I want you to tell that Iman that I love them. Marilyn, I will pass that on. Thank you so I, much. I think the nicest people I've met in this apartment, and when I'm out, they help me with my groceries, and two lovely Muslim women help me up, uh, what is it, up uh, a step into the Service Ontario building, and uh, I just, they were just so lovely. So I, we're supposed to, I'm a Christian, but we're to love everybody. God, Christ said that, love everyone. So that's what I do. I love them. I don't care if their skin is black, yellow, red, white, purple, or who they are. Marilyn, okay. like I always said, if you were running for office, I would vote for you because you've got an outlook that we all need to share. Thanks so much for the, for the call, Marilyn. All the best, okay? The best to you, dear, and I hope I'm not a pest. You are never a pest. Never a pest. You have a great day. Feed those you birds. Too. They sound hungry. <laughs> okay, they Take are. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye, dear. Bye. <laughs> 
519-643-2222. You can email mike at 980cfpl.ca. At any time during our conversation, Imam Abd al-Fatah Twako will join us in studio next on London Live on Global News Radio 980-CFPL. Joining us in studio on London Live, we are very fortunate to have Imam Abd al-Fatah Twakal. And Imam, thank you so much for being here. We got talking on Monday, if you were not listening on Monday, about, of course, the shooting in New Zealand at a mosque that has claimed 50 lives, that injured 40 others, that changed things forever, that will see a change to gun laws in New Zealand. But again, we got back into, as often happens, a religious discussion. And there were a lot of things brought up. People saying, well, Islam states this. Well, the Quran states this. And I'm not a guy who can step back and say that because I'm not somebody who studied theology. So we wanted to kind of sit and listen and learn about the Islamic faith for a period of time. And that period of time is now. Imam, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Mike. We want to get into Sharia law in just a little bit. Um, but in terms of, of kind of the aftermath of yet another attack on a mosque, we did speak on Monday. But even if you could just reiterate what has been going on and, and some of the things you've been hearing from people since the latest attack. Yeah, so um, first, of course, our, our condolences and our thoughts and our prayers always go out to the uh, the victims and the families of those who were killed um, and who were affected by this um, tragedy and this terrorist attack. Um, really, what our community has been going through um, over the past few days and uh, by extension over the past uh, several uh, years, um, when we see these things uh, increasing within our society, is there does exist a sense of apprehension. There does uh, exist a level of anxiety within our community um, because uh, of these uh, events that are happening and the rise um, in, in hateful rhetoric um, that is having an impact. Uh, people might not think that uh, words of hate or words of division uh, and words of, of misunderstanding uh, or ignorance um, have uh, an effect, but they do. And, and we've seen the effects uh, multiple times. Uh, and, and even just everyday common uh, e events that end up happening where it could be, you know, a, a dirty look given towards a Muslim woman wearing a headscarf um, or it could be uh, online uh, vitriol uh, in, in commentaries on social media or whatnot with stories related to Islam or Muslims. Um, this is something that affects us. It affects everyone. And it's not only about Muslims and Islam, but rather it, it's about uh, anyone who becomes a victim uh, or has hatred or uh, rhetoric uh, of uh, division uh, and, and racism and discrimination uh, aimed towards them. You mentioned something very powerful on Monday, just the idea that groups, we divide people into groups, and then you give some kind of indication of a feeling about a group without understanding Absolutely. who's there. Absolutely. And, and that's why you know, I've, I've said it many times that you know, the root cause when it comes to any form of racism or uh, bigotry or discrimination uh, comes down to uh, ignorance and arrogance. 
Uh, and so if a person doesn't know uh, anything about their neighbor, uh, if they're coming from a different faith tradition, or if they don't know about the other faith tradition themselves, then that could uh, create a sense of uh, fear because it's unknown. And, and so that's why education um, is the first step for an individual to be able to overcome the, these hateful views. And a person has to be self-critical. A person has to look deep within themselves and ask themselves these hard questions. Is that, do I want to be this person um, uh, that is, is spreading and spewing uh, hatred and uh, words uh, of, of discrimination uh, against other people? Uh, we have to come to the common ground of our humanity. And that is something that it requires uh, education, it requires seeking knowledge, um, and at the same time, it requires humbling oneself, not to see themselves uh, above others, because at the end of the day, uh, we're all uh, one human family. We'd be a lot stronger if we kind of acted that way, too. Imam Abd al-Fatah Twakal joining us in studio. When we, when we start to talk about the Koran, many people will talk about the Koran have never even seen a copy of the Quran. Right. One of the things that they will grab at and throw out there is, well, the Quran says, kill all infidels. Right. Can you help us to understand where that stems from and why people gravitate to that particular line? And right. So that, that verse in particular is perhaps the most misquoted verse uh, in the Quran. When you're looking at any scripture, whether it's the Quran or the Old Testament or the New Testament, um, it's easy to uh, pick verses out of their context. And, and this is exactly what happens whenever these verses are used by groups in order to incite violence or in order to spread uh, hatred uh, of one group against uh, another. Um, and if we do a careful reading of uh, the Quran, you'll be able to understand that there is, in fact, a context for these verses. Now, that verse in particular is, is really, it's a mistranslation. Um, it, it doesn't say kill all infidels. Uh, and, and the issue is that, I mean, you have to read the verse that comes before it as well as the verse that comes after it in order to properly understand it. Um, so let's take that verse and deal with it in, in particular. Um, the, the general context is that when the Muslims um, were, you know, first uh, came out in Mecca, they were persecuted, um, and Mecca is the birthplace um, of uh, is, uh, the Prophet Muhammad, who is uh, the, the prophet, um, the final prophet uh, of Islam. And so um, for 13 years, the, the Muslim population um, in Mecca were actually persecuted, and they were not allowed to, to defend themselves. They were not allowed to, to fight back against any forms um, of aggression. And it wasn't until um, the, the Muslims immigrated um, to uh, the city north of Mecca, which is called Medina, and the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, immigrated there, in which permission was given to them in order to defend themselves against aggressions. And so there were constant forms of aggression um, in which Muslims were expelled from their homes, their wealth, their property was taken uh, wrongfully and unjustly, um, and, and they weren't allowed to, to defend themselves. And so then when verses were revealed in the Quran, in many different places, that gave them that permission to defend themselves, this is the context in which these verses are revealed, that it's actually in a state of war, and it's in, in a state of, of aggression. And even then, there are still 
conditions um, in terms of, you know, uh, rules of engagement, as you would call them, uh, in terms of battle. And so, you know, there are specific uh, traditions of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in which he said, you know, you're not allowed, do not kill women, do not kill children, do not kill old men, uh, do not destroy uh, trees, do not destroy, uh, uh, you know, uh, monasteries or, or any sort of place of, of worship. So there were very specific rules of engagement uh, that were given, and it was only about fighting those who were actually already fighting you. And so if we read in the Quran, the, the, the verse that it's, uh, comes before the one that you had alluded to, it says, you know, fight in the cause of God only against those who wage war against you, but do not exceed limits. For God does not like the transgressors. God does not like those who transgress beyond limits. And those limits are those rules of engagement. Then comes the verse, kill them wherever you come upon them and drive them out of the places from which they uh, drove, uh, have driven you out, for persecution is far worse than killing. And so this is making it clear that it's only against those people who are waging war against you and they're fighting against you. That, that's the, the context in terms of uh, you know, uh, fighting against them. But then it goes to on to in the next verse to say, but if they cease then know that God is forgiving and merciful. And in another verse, if they incline towards peace, then you incline towards peace. And so it, it's not to be, you know, uh, people think that Islam is all about uh, having a perpetual state of war, but it's the exact opposite. It's about having a perpetual state of peace and, and of tranquility. And it is only when there are aggressions that uh, Muslims are allowed to be able to, to defend uh, themselves. Um, I mean, you know, the, there's another catch word that is often uh, misused, which is jihad. And, and people will always use this term to say, oh, well, Muslims are waging a jihad. Um, but they don't have an understanding of, of what it means. Uh, jihad means struggle. And jihad can be on so many different levels. It can be on in terms of an inner struggle. Um, or it can be in terms of, you know, being able to spread goodness. That's a struggle in and of itself. That's a jihad. And the Quran uses that word in that context in terms of as, as a struggle, whether inwardly or outwardly. And it does include sometimes the martial aspects, but again, within the proper context uh, and within the proper limits and, and boundaries. And so it's important for people to be able to understand. Because you can, if you take verses even from the Bible, I mean, anyone can take a, a verse from the Bible and where Jesus, you know, he, peace be upon him, he said that I did not come uh, on earth to bring peace, but I came to, to bring the sword. And so somebody can take that out of context and say, well, look, this is what the Bible teaches and this is what the teachings of Jesus are. And we will reject that. Muslims, Christians, we reject that. We don't accept that because these verses would simply be taken out of their context and used um, uh, as perversions. Um, by people who have a, a specific agenda that they want to spread uh, this type of hatred uh, and division. Uh, and so every verse guaranteed in the Quran that speaks of this uh, in terms of you know, fighting or, or whatnot um, will, will have it, its proper context. And it's interesting that one of the first verses revealed about this, it says that fighting was prescribed unto you even though you detest it, even though you hate it. Right. We and, never hear that. No. And, and this is the thing that, you know, I mean, if you if you people are able to read a Quran with, you know, some uh, commentary to be able to understand the, the context, then they, you know, if they're open minded and if they have uh, a, a sincere intention that they're they're looking to understand the faith tradition rather than to just simply speak against it, regardless of, of what it is that, you know, you, you hear, then you, you will come to a better understanding um, in that regard. Imam Abd al-Fatah Twakal joining us as we learn about Islam. 
We will take a break. Of course, we have time limitations, but there is one other thing that we do want to get to before we close out this segment. You're listening to London Live and Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We are spending some time with Imam Abd al-Fatah Twakal, and we are learning more about Islam. Now, of course, we can't say, hey, 20 minutes, got it now, thanks. That's not what we're trying to do. But trying to look at some of the things that tend to come up quite commonly, just to have a better understanding of that. Another imam is Sharia law. How do we best understand Sharia law. So the the most basic definition of Sharia law has to do with um, the what it is that the divine uh, wants uh, for uh, his creation uh, to be able to live on a daily basis um, for the sake of of being able to spread good uh, and and to prevent any forms of of spreading of evil or harm or of corruption. Uh, when we look um, within Islamic law. Uh, there are what are called the primary aims or goals of Sharia, which are called maqasid in the Arabic language. Okay, and, and what are those? And so the, the, these are the, the five principles by which the, the whole purpose of Sharia law came in order to, to preserve. And so preservation uh, of the self, preservation of uh, religion or faith, preservation of intellect, preservation of wealth and preservation of one's lineage and honor. That is every ruling in Sharia will go back to one of these five primary aims or, or goals of Sharia. So, and yet I'm hearing that and thinking that's not out of the question. A lot of people are going to say that about their lives. That's Those are things you want to make sure and and protect, right? Absolutely. And and this is really what Islam is is all about when Muslims, you know, they live Sharia on a daily basis in terms of, you know, when they're performing their prayers, when they're giving charity to to the poor, uh, when they're they're protecting uh, others against any form of aggression. I mean, even if you look at the definition of Muslim, what is the definition in Arabic um, of a Muslim is one who has surrendered themselves uh, to God in order to attain a state of peace which is what the word Islam comes from, uh, is comes from the same root word as salam or, or peace. And so, you know, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, there's a tradition in which he defined who a Muslim was. And he said the Muslim is the one who other people, they're safe from his tongue and his hands. In other words, what a person says and what a person does. That, uh, that, that's the definition of a Muslim. The believer or the mu'min, which also comes from a root word of to, to make safe and secure, is the one who other people's lives and property are safe. So that's the, 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 the primary definition of a Muslim and of a mu'min, a believer. And so if people understand that this is at the core of the Muslim faith tradition, I mean, the first attributes mentioned in the Quran about God are the ar-Rahman, ar-Rahim, the compassionate, the merciful. And so it's about being able to spread mercy uh, and, and compassion throughout the earth. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is called in the Quran that, uh, that he was sent only as a mercy to all the world. Uh, and so this is to show that that's the basis of the Islamic faith tradition. 
And so when you people, a lot of times, they will reduce um, Sharia uh, simply to the penal codes. They'll reduce Sharia simply to the, the laws um, that are in place for somebody who, for example, steals or somebody who commits adultery or, or whatever. Um, but the problem is, is that there is no applicability of any of these laws um, when there, there is not the, the proper context doesn't exist. And so here, for example, within Canadian uh, society and in the West, there is absolutely no context for any of these laws, which actually represent uh, less than, you know, uh, 5%, even less than, you know, 2 or 1% of all of Islamic law, um, that, that there is no context for any of these things to, to be uh, applied uh, within uh, the society here. It's because there has to be due process. There has to be a legal infrastructure in place with court systems and with judges and that are qualified. And that, you know, I mean, there was one study that was done that looked over 400 years of Ottoman uh, court archives uh, in order to see how many times were Islamic penal codes actually implemented. And over 400 years, they found that the times in which Islamic penal codes were actually implemented were very, very few. And that's because Islamic law is all about reintegrating people who, if they made a mistake or whatnot, reintegrating them back into society. So there's a basis of compassion. There's a basis of, of mercy. Um, and, and then it's not just simply a matter of, oh, no, we have to you know, punish uh, criminals uh, on the spot for, for what they're doing. No, there has to be due process. And, and if that is required, then there, it's something that you know, it, it takes place um, uh, based on uh, the, 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 the judgments of the courts and, and, and whatnot through due process as it is with any society. So it's not something that is, you know, there's no vigilantism in Islam. People can't take things into their own hands and, and try to do these things. And if they do, then they're actually committing uh, injustice. They're actually committing oppression. And, and that's even within, uh, you know, certain uh, Muslim uh, world, uh, in the Muslim world or certain places um, that, you know, like uh, Daesh or ISIS, that's exactly who they are, that they're taking these things out of their proper context and they're trying to implement them. And, and they, they're, they're wrong. They, they're, they're actually committing acts of injustice and aggression. And, and this is not what Islam is. Imam, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate me, you having me today. Thank you very much, Mike. Imam Abd al-Fatah Twakal joining us in studio. We've got news coming up next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Last March, there was a different government in power in the province, but a survey was sent out, and that survey was actually completed by 116,000 people. Well, that's an impressive survey. How many do you expect to send out if, if you're going to survey someone? Let's see how many Londoners like mashed potatoes. And you are to send out surveys. How many would have to come back before you would say, yeah, we got a pretty good sense that Londoners really like their mashed potatoes? Or that Londoners, eh, they've kind of had enough of mashed potatoes over their life. They're, uh, they're more into making the baked ones with the sour cream and the chives. That's, uh, or the double-baked potato. You ever had that? Where you hollow it out, you mix it up with some cheese, and then you put it back in the oven? I don't cook much. I'm a, more of a cheese-on-plate guy, noodles and sauce. But every once in a while, I pull out the big guns and, uh, and I make some double-baked potatoes. But how many would have to come back for you to say, yeah, we need to use this data. We need to believe this data. If you have 116,000 surveys coming back, that's a lot of surveys. 
That's some good stuff. And that was just among university students. We had 42,000 college students who completed a very similar survey, meaning we had 158,000 surveys with which to gather information. And that's why the number that has risen to the top in what this survey was doing becomes so unsettling. Because this survey was put out by the previous government, and it was comprised of 50 questions. And it was asking questions about sexual violence. And it was asking those questions about sexual violence on campuses, at colleges, and universities. And some of the things dealt with myths about rape or dealt with questions about consent, um, experiences that students had had, and certainly how they felt their particular institution, college or university, was responding to what was going on. Here's the number that absolutely jumps out. 63% of the students at university who completed the survey said that sexual harassment had been something they had experienced. 63% of the people who filled out the survey. Now, you have to define sexual harassment, but we're getting used to hearing more and more about what we have to know about what consent actually means, about what is appropriate, what is not appropriate, both by way of action and by way of word. We're getting to know that a little bit more. This number to me is pretty unsettling, 63%. At the college level, it was 49.6% of the students who had participated in the survey. So we want to take some time right now and talk about how this is dealt with at, in this case, in the university level, because that's where the bigger of the two numbers comes from. 63% of the students surveyed. Now, we are going to speak with someone from Western University. I want to make sure we have it clarified that these 116,000 students could have included students from Western University, but these are not 116,000 people who have attended Western University. This is not a Western study. This is not a Fanshawe study. This is not even a London study. This is something that went across the province from the Minister of Training Colleges and Universities last March. So as long as we understand that, please welcome to London Live Jenny Massey, who is the VP of Student Services at Western University. Jenny, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. If we go back through the numbers in this survey, some of them really stand out. And I think that's what's made this really newsworthy. The fact that you see the number of people who claim that they have experienced a sexual assault or experienced something inappropriate on campus. When you see this, what do you take from it? Well, first of all, I think I would say that, you know, I'm very disappointed to see the, the number of, of students reporting experiences of sexual violence. Um, I'm not surprised by the data. Uh, we, we see this uh, nationally. There's been a lot of conversation around uh, the prevalence of sexual violence in, in our society, and our campuses are not immune from that. Um, so what, what I take from the data is that we've got to do more. 
Now, in terms of doing more, where would that more begin? We've, we've had a, a lot of emphasis in all walks of life, it seems, on education in recent years. How does that kind of factor in in terms of doing more? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, uh, Western, like many universities, has been um, increasingly focused on addressing sexual violence on our campuses. Um, you know, you, you're probably aware that fairly recently, in, back in uh, 2016, we created the uh, Sexual Violence Prevention Education Coordinator position, and that is designed to uh, provide education for students around uh, you know, the, the breadth of sexual violence, um, consent, uh, the complexities around that, and also cr- cultivate a campus environment uh, which, which, which uh, you know, fosters an environment which all students can thrive. Uh, we realize that from the, this data, but also from other uh, information we've received from students, that we need to do more. And, and in terms of that, one of the things that we are working with our students on and our community partners on is the development of a framework for sexual violence prevention education that moves us beyond a low-dose prevention of training towards a more rigorous development and assessment of a comprehensive prevention program, which is really focused on reducing perpetration, um, supporting risk reduction more generally. We're talking with Jenny Massey, who is the Vice President of Student Services at Western University, and we're looking at some survey numbers, but maybe the, the more general story that has come out of it that illustrates there is still sexual violence on university campuses, and by the numbers, it is quite prevalent. So what happens next in all of that? So, Jenny, in, in making that available to students, how do you roll that out so that students can, number one, know it's there, and number two, know when to make use of it? In terms of the education components? Yes. Yeah, so what we're actually doing is work is actually working to integrate that education into some of our existing structures. So we're working, for example, with our student government um, and with various clubs and societies so that if you hold a leadership position, uh, part of your training and development for that leadership position will be training around sexual violence. Uh, we're also looking at how we could uh, develop online modules that all students would be able to take um, ideally during their transition out of high school into, into university um, before they even arrive on campus so they have a little bit more knowledge before they get started. Jenny Massey with us, Vice President of Student Services at Western University. Let's look into that. If someone has been a victim of sexual violence, what options are there for them? So if they're a student on our campus, um, they would come to speak to one of our staff um, over in, in student experience. And so we do have a, uh, a dedicated staff person who is responsible for supporting students um, and pr- putting in place all the various supports that they might need. Uh, the, if they wanted to file a formal complaint, uh, we would process that under our code of student conduct and would um, be able to, to support the student during that journey. So we really take a survivor-centric approach to uh, moving forward with sexual violence uh, disclosures and complaints, and we will ask the student what they want. So they have options, in, including support without a formal process, an informal resolution where that's appropriate, and then a formal complaints process if that's what they need. Are parents brought into this at any point? Uh, our students that um, are either um, filing a complaint under the code or are responding to a complaint under the code are always welcome to bring um, a support person with them through that journey. Sometimes they'll choose to bring a parent. Sometimes they'll choose to bring uh, a friend or another advocate. And sometimes they like to do that alone. We really will work with them as, as, as needed.
And I guess on the other side, for anyone who perhaps is creating the situation because of, say, a sexual assault or a means of sexual violence, what can happen to a student that is found guilty of that? Or, or is that a completely different conversation? Well, if a student is found to be responsible for um, uh, you know, violating our code of student conduct through a sexual violence complaint, uh, then the repercussions could be, depending on the severity of the situation, um, could be anything from an educational uh, intervention or an educational sanction where they would be uh, asked or, or required to attend certain training, all the way up to expulsion. It really uh, is it, a very wide uh, range of potential sanctions. Jenny, we thank you for your time today. Thanks for sharing everything that is happening at Western University. You're very welcome. Thanks for talking to me. Jenny Massey, VP of Student Services at Western University, as we deal with those big numbers. And that's that's kind of how aware they are. Western and Fanshawe both get high marks when it comes to student services, when it comes to what is available to students, when it comes to the experience that they have. You can look those up because those are other big numbers. And that's one of the reasons why they're willing to stand and say, okay, we know this is an issue. And we want to do whatever we can to make sure it is handled properly before something like that were to happen or certainly in case something like that happens. And that's what they've done. So, hey, that's uh, that's all you can hope for, isn't it? And they will continue to pay attention to that and, uh, and work towards solutions. So let's take a break. Up next, speaking of solutions, we won't get one today, but in about 40 minutes – We are going to have a lot of people at a public participation meeting at Centennial Hall, and they are going to be talking about bus rapid transit. And we've had one of these before. Now we've had more time pass. Now we have new members of our city council. We need to take a couple of minutes and talk about BRT, but I want to play you a thought from a counselor who is a new counselor, and it it really takes this in a direction, and I'm wondering how much this will play a part in the outcome for what is done with regard to transit in this city and the bus rapid transit project. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, let's take a few minutes and address BRT. We've got number of people who will be heading to a public participation meeting. It is 221 on a Wednesday, so the meeting begins at 3 o'clock. Not everybody can make it, but no doubt a wide variety of responses are set to go. And it'll be interesting to see because we will find this out on 980 CFBL News, just how many people do go. And we had, what, 800 people at Budweiser Gardens? That was kind of a, an estimate. Here's something to think about, and it comes from Ward 12 Counselor Elizabeth Peloza. And I hadn't, I hadn't thought of this angle before. And Elizabeth spelled out something that she believes may be a factor. I think the city is already about $13 million in on planning for this, so certainly starting over would be a huge waste of money. And I know a lot of the councillors, certainly we wouldn't want to leave money on the table or see Londoners' money that we've paid to other levels of government go to other cities if we say no thanks. And recognizing the biggest concern I get into 
from residents' construction and the headache of it and the detours and how long it can go on for and recognizing that, at least on Wellington Road, where my ward's concerned, the infrastructure with the sewers underneath the roads are almost 100 years old. Like, it's going to get torn up regardless, and if we can use other levels of funding to help us pay for that, so the taxpayers don't have to shoulder anything further or very minimal, that would be the way I'd like to see us go. Okay. So here is kind of the the beginning of that, which really strikes me, that the city is $13 million in. So how much of what we are going to see hinges on that already? That means that the stream is flowing in a direction. So if you're going to take this and completely scrap it, as Councillor Pelosa says, uh, that may not make a lot of sense. You're $13 million in, and we do know that we need something. Is BRT that thing? You know, we all get concerned about how it's going to affect small business, and I do feel for the small business that it does affect. We all feel for, you know, whether it's commuter routes that will be affected, and this is not just while it's implemented. This is period. This is, I wonder what things are going to look like going north on Richmond. And I really do, because if you have allowed yourself to, at rush hour times, be stuck in that traffic when we've already got two lanes, you can't even begin to try to figure out what it's going to be like when that traffic is operating in reduced lanes. I don't know. I don't know where that's headed. Now, the other part of this is, and this goes back to something we were talking about at the start of the show, we have to condition ourselves. You know, if you live in Toronto, you are conditioned. And you're conditioned that riding the GO train is preferential to bringing your car downtown and paying the exorbitant parking prices. So you are willing to get up and sacrifice some time in your day in order to go to the GO train station, get on, and go downtown. But you are conditioned to do that. That's just what happens. And we have a lot of people who are moving from Toronto to this area now. And I'm sure they are quite enjoying the fact that you can drive most anywhere and you can park for fairly reasonable prices. I mean, when you compare them to other cities, that's what we have to call them. But you also don't have the luxury of just going vehicle-free and getting certain places. And we need to have that. The problem that will exist in all of this is the balance between what you're doing in a vehicle and what you are paying to do things out of your vehicle. If you go to Aldershot and you park there and you take the GO train in and you go to Union Station and then you go to a Blue Jays game in the summer, that happens. You're willing to pay whatever it costs you to take that GO train and do that for that one event. You're already paying for Blue Jays tickets. You know you're going to pay for expensive beer, although some of them are going to be $5 now. All of them should be $5. You know, you can sell more. I don't know. It's it's a slippery slope. Well, we don't want to encourage binge drinking. We want to make as much money as we can. There's a fine line there that nobody's really on the right side of, but that's a whole other topic. But you're willing to spend the money to go on the GO train there. If we have something in London that is available, how many people are going to pay for what it costs to operate a vehicle and own a vehicle and then pay to make use of bus rapid transit. Right away, 
not as many as we need to have. That's going to be the answer. But, but here's the thing. If this starts to work out, and if people start saying to each other, you know, took the BRT. Couldn't believe it. I really like that. I'm going to do that again. What is that next person going to do? Huh. They said the BRT was kind of fun. They said it worked out real well for them. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try that. And next thing you know, we're starting to condition ourselves differently. And then maybe you look and say, you know, with the way that this is going to work, and by then, who knows? We may have an east-west expansion. We may have a south-central expansion. We, who knows what we'll have? They're going to work that out starting with today's meeting and beyond. So I'm, I'm going to look at that. And then maybe, you know what we'll do? We'll drop down to one vehicle because one of us can make it downtown to work, and we, we could make use of, of that expansion that's coming in a couple of years. And, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll have one pass and we'll have one vehicle. Yeah, okay. And you slowly condition yourself to make use of this. And that's what it's going to take. You can't look and say right now, this isn't going to work. Because we don't know what it is yet. We can look and say, it's going to be a pain in the butt. It's going to be a pain in the butt to construct it. Look at Kitchener. You know what Kitchener was doing last year? Actually, I can't say the city of Kitchener. Do you know what the universities were doing in Kitchener-Waterloo last year? I feel for them because as they were trying to entice students to come to their universities, they were saying, hey, we've got an LRT. We're just waiting for the arrival of the trains. And then, wow, you are going to be able to travel. You're a student. You'll be able to get on them for free. You'll be able to And they were talking. Yeah, they're still figuring that one out. I don't think the trains are on the tracks yet. And then somebody told me that the tracks had been constructed too close to something in one spot, and they're going to have to redo that part. I mean, nightmare stuff. We may avoid some of that nightmare stuff in London because we're not worrying about tracks right now. But it's going to take conditioning. It's going to take years before we truly appreciate this. The more people that move downtown, the more people that ditch their vehicles, the better the success is going to become. But this is all kind of happening, you know, it's as laid out as it can be, but it's happening a little willy and nilly. And so we're going to have people making those moves, people moving out of downtown. We're going to have some of those, you know, expansions that maybe get put off for a little while. But overall, if we take this in a 20-year thought, that's where it's going to make the difference. So we'll let you know what comes out of today's meeting. I'm eager to find out. I don't know how much of that will be implemented, but I even even with the change in council and even with the way that, that this is going, we're getting something. We're going to make use of that money somehow, and it'll probably have a BRT component to it. And in the end, we just have to figure out how to work it into our lives. It's as simple as that. Next up, news with Matt Trevithick. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We are going to give you a chance to win night's tickets before the end of the show today, and we get to talk to Maestro Fresh Wes. Was there a better song than Let Your Backbone Slide back in late 80s, early 90s? I mean, it, it was just, it was just good. 
Tune in volume and bloom and I'm blossoming. Blowing away blockades and barricades. Make you black and blue from the blast of the blaze. It's a blood sport. Blood builds up back. I make your vision go blurry while your brain goes black into oblivion. Beats from box to box to base. Rocks from blocks and blocks. Let your backbone slide. That doesn't even have the part where he says sacroiliac and rhymes it with a thing. It was it was a song that took off and went as high as any hip-hop song at that time. Well, Maestro Fresh Wes has been doing a number of things since then, and one of them is still performing. And he's got a new album out. We're going to talk to him about that. He, of course, has been doing some acting. He was a big character on Mr. D., so we'll talk to him a little bit about acting. We just get to hang out with Maestro Fresh Wes, and we'll do that in a couple of minutes from now. We'll also, again, give you a chance to win Knights tickets. There was a block of tickets released. Basically what happens leading up to the playoffs, you have season ticket holders who have until a certain date to say, yeah, okay, uh, I'm coming by, I'm going to grab my tickets for the first round or games one and two, whatever it happens to be. And then when that date passes, those tickets are actually put on sale. So tickets that you can't normally get go on sale. And those happen to be released this morning. So if you want to call the box office, 519-681-0800, you can stop by in person to the Knights Armories, or you can go online to LondonKnights.com. You're going to find tickets that aren't normally available to you because usually they're being sat in by season ticket holders. So that's the beauty of the playoffs. Knights take on the Winter Spitfires on Friday night. That is game one in London. Game two is Sunday afternoon in London. That is a two o'clock start. These teams met six times in the regular season. They know each other well. Windsor's got a couple of guys. One is Liam Foody's brother, Jean-Luc Foody. He had more primary assists than Mitch Marner and Steven Stamkos. This guy is a player, but he's 16. He's going to be learning a little bit. So you're going to see a Winter Spitfire team that is learning what it takes to play in the playoffs. You're going to see a London Knights team that has a better veteran contingent to it, and they're going to be looking to win this series and win it in a hurry to be rested up for whatever comes next. That's the way that this one will shake out, but there's a lot of young skill on the Windsor Spitfire side. They have the potential to be a pretty scary team in years to come, and this will be their baptism by fire for the London Knights. This is about getting to play the right way and getting yourself set for what they hope is a long playoff run. Starts Friday, but again, those tickets... Really good ones are available now. 519-681-0800. Stop by the Knights Armories or go online to LondonKnights.com. We'll talk more Knights as the week goes on. In fact, on Friday, we're going to tell a story going back to the 70s. We're going to get some help. Somebody who was a primary player in all of this. When there were two court challenges in a series involving the London Knights and the Windsor Spitfires. Court. They had to go to court. Actual court. This is not hockey court. It's not kangaroo court. Real court. How did that even happen? That'll come up on Friday. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. 19 minutes till a public participation meeting gets underway to talk B, R, and T. We need something here in this city. We know that by now. How's it supposed to look? Got a 300 and some million dollar shopping spree to go on. That's always nice. Here's over 300 million dollars. What do you want to do? Unfortunately, it's like it's like winning a shopping spree, 
but you wind up walking into a store and that store has socks that sell for $125. And so you pick up the socks and you say, oh, these are fancy socks. And then you get to the shirts and you realize that yeah, everything's priced according to the socks. Then your money drizzles away pretty quick. That's kind of what we have for BRT. So that meeting begins in 18 minutes from now. We have an opportunity now to talk with a guy who hit the height of popularity in music going back, we're not even going to say how many years, but he has been involved in acting and is making music now, just came out with his Champagne Campaign album. Here is, in fact, a little taste of the Champagne Campaign album from Maestro Fresh Wes. I'm Marty Bird, I'm in the Ozark, Ray Charles and Heroin, New Wave of Mozart, I'm deadly wounded records in the Black Beethoven, got the hands of Oscar Peterson, this song is in the key of life, never let the demons in the champagne, campaign, fans are loving this, before a show, I'm all apart from my So see the lyrics, they're still there, the energy is still there, and Maestro Fresh Wes is here on London Live. Maestro, how are things? Real good. How you doing, sir? Not bad. I love how you reference Ozark. What are you, a big fan? Ha, 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 ha. Well, the maestro. One second. Hold on. Give me one second. Hold on. Where did he go? I'm not even sure what's happening right now. We are talking with Maestro Fresh West. Okay. No problem. Who? Yeah, sorry, but I'm very sorry about that. That's okay. Where did you have yeah. to go? We were curious. Yeah, yeah. Well, I get, no, you don't got to worry about that. I'm just getting, getting my young man. All right. So, perfect. One second. You okay? One second, what happened? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hey, sorry if it, you know what? If you've got to go and you've got to attend to no, your no, son, no, we're that's, good we're good we're that's good not now. a problem. Perfect now. Perfect now. Okay, excellent. Perfect now. Yeah, so, so, yeah, man, well, you know, I like, I like, I like, I'm the maestro, so I wanted to, um, I wanted to have something that, that conceptualizes what I'm about, you know what I'm saying? So, that's why I came with the, with the Mozart reference, you know, and, and, that's, and that's not the first time I've done that, too. When you listen to, like, my older stuff, I've always done that, you know what I'm saying? Now, you have certainly jumped right back into recording, but you've never completely been out of it, right? Exactly, exactly. So, how have you found the, I guess, the the hip-hop genre in terms of, of how it's changed over the years? What's that been like? Yeah, well, I'm from the era of the physical, and now we're in the era of the digital now, so it's a whole different um, ball game in terms of how music, the accessibility of but um, I look at rock groups like the Rolling Stones. I look at groups like Pink Floyd. They've evolved. You know, artists like Quincy Jones, producers like Quincy Jones. They've evolved through generations. You know what I'm saying? So, so I'm not letting that keep me back. Obviously, when you hear the disc, um, you can see that. Well, take us back because when you used to perform, you would have at least one DJ on the stage. Sometimes, was I right? You had two. Nah, I've only had one show when I've ever had two DJs. I, I did a Massey Hall show. I had two DJs, but normally it's just one DJ. Okay, and then you would have dancers on stage, and mm-hmm. you yeah, which I still do, which I still do. Like if, if I'm doing like a bigger show, I'm I'm bringing my beat boys out with me. I'm bringing like my homies out with me, and we're making a big event out of it. It just depends on the size of the spectrum of the show itself. You know what I'm saying? So, but uh, yeah. Can we go back, and we're talking with Maestro Fresh West, can we go back and talk about Let Your Backbone Slide a little bit, Because and, and what kind of that did for music, not just in Canada, but just what it did. The lyrics in that 
are, I don't know whether you could have a course on it, but you probably could come close into dissecting those lyrics. Can you take us back to you getting started and you writing that piece of music? Uh, well, I'm a fan of rock music. So Billy Squire had a song called The Stroke. That's where I came up with the idea for, for Let Your Backbone Slide. He kind of said that in the song. Um, so that was the hook. I just thought it was sounded really dope, like Let Your Backbone Slide. So, so it started with that. And then I'm a concept-driven artist. So whatever I did uh, musically had to um, encompass that feeling that I got from the title. You know what I'm saying? So, and, and, you know, like I said, I, I wanted to, to uh, I'm a concept-driven artist. So what I wanted to do was just have, uh, like, this ain't Forte. I'm coming double F. Fortissimo, FF, or Funky Fresh. Well, Forte is a musical note for loud. Um, its symbol is F. Uh, Fortissimo is FF for very loud. So I kind of brought that in with, with, with music. I thought that would be cool to be um, conceptually um, driven. Writing the lyrics for that, Maestro, that seems to be a song that would have taken that that wasn't that wasn't your typical stairway to heaven where Robert Plant sits down on a napkin and next thing you know the lyrics are there. That sounds like that took some time. Yeah, it was no fifteen minutes, man. It took a while to, to construct. But you know, I had influences like Rock Jam, Kumo D, um, Ice T, you know, um, Coochie Rap, Big Daddy Kane. Those were like my musical influences. So I just did my thing. When you look at doing your thing now, how have things changed? Obviously, you're a dad. Things change a lot when, when time kind of goes by. But in terms of musically, you mentioned the digital aspect of things. Does it make it easier now, or does it just make it more complex? I mean, it, I think it makes it easier now because anybody can put out music right now. You know what I'm saying? Anybody. Anybody could just you know do one or two things and, you have, and press a couple buttons. And your music's out there, but I got a slogan. My slogan is, we don't make records, we make history. So anybody can make a record, but by making history is when you do something, you say something that, you know, that resonates. People check for you years and years and years later, you know? When you when you go looking to write a song, obviously it's difficult to to say, okay, we're going to step into the studio now and we are going to write something that becomes this. How do you know when you have something that you say, yeah, that's part of the album, that one right there? If I know it, like, I'll listen to it, I'll vibe it, I'll see what else it has with any other other, other songs, then I'll get an idea if, it, if it's good enough to be a part of my project. As far as getting music out, it used to be put out the album, go on tour, sell the album, sell the tickets. Things have changed that way as well. Does that change the way that, that you make music, or does that still stand the same? End of the day, you got to go on the road. I'm, I've been honored because I just went on a, a cross Canada tour with Classified last uh, fall. You know what I'm saying? We did like eight eight weeks on the road, six weeks rather on the road, which is beautiful, like 28 different cities. And and um, at the end of the day, people like live entertainment. So I'm glad that uh, my show was well received. And even at Juno Fest, the Juno was was at London uh, this past weekend, and I performed at Juno Fest, and once again, I was well received. So. You know, we could you you could download stuff and have it in your in your in your living room, but there's something special about a live show. You know what I'm saying? Maestro Fresh West with us on London Live. In touring with Classified, you're touring with a guy who, who maybe wants to be able to do what you've done and create a career in this. Do you guys ever get a chance to sit down and, and just, you know, talk as you toured or were you on separate buses or what? Yeah, that's a good friend of mine. Of course we we spoke. That's a that's a good friend of mine, you know. So we're on the same bus. 
for six weeks. That's like that, that was my roommate. <laughs> <laughs> and does he try and pick your brain on things, or do you pick each other's brain? Yeah, but that's a friend of mine. So we've been doing that for for years. You know what I'm saying? We learn from each other. We, we keep each other sharp for, for decades. You know what I'm saying? Like class, Classified was on uh, Reach for the Sky, a song with me. And um, before that, I was a song with him called Hard to Be Hip Hop. We've done probably like 11 songs together. As a matter of fact, when we were filming the Reach for the Sky video, I picked him up from this hotel, and he said to me, oh, I got, I got an idea. I think I got a big song. I'm working on a brand new song. I think I'm going to call it My Inner Ninja. So, you know, so we were always around each other. We always, like, like uh, you know, share different ideas, different concepts that we have, what have you. He told me about that song, Powerless, he had way before it came out, like a good year and change before it came out. And uh, that's how we do. We always exchange ideas and stuff like that, you know, business-wise as well as artistically. So that's a good friend of mine, Classified. Hey, well, that is fantastic. What's it like to, to hear somebody come up with a concept? You've done this before. I mean, you come up with a concept, and then a year later, it's something different, and then it, and then it blows up. What, take us through what that is like to have that happen. I just feel great, man. I feel like, you know what, I came up with something that people can get with, you know, or if it's a friend of mine, like a classified, like we just mentioned, he comes up with something that people get with that, you know, and then you see people, um, you know, a year and a half later, you're on the road and you see fans recite those lyrics. It's like, wow, you know, that's something that artists really appreciate. Well, thanks so much for coming to London, being part of Juno Fest on, on I guess, last week. It uh, is something that uh, the people are still talking about around here. The Junos definitely haven't left London yet. There's still a lot of chatter about what happened, and we wish you all the best going forward. Thanks so much for taking some time out for us, Maestro. Run Runners was, was awesome at London Music Hall, and thank you for having, having time for me. London did a great job of hosting the Junos. Thanks a lot. We'll look forward to having you back. Take care. All right, bless. Maestro Fresh Wes. To close out the show, we'll give you a chance to win night's tickets. That's next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We have one more thing to do on London Live today, and that is give you a chance to go and see the London Knights and the Windsor Spitfires in something called the, let me see here, what is this? Playoffs? Playoffs? Talking about playoffs? Yeah, playoffs. They begin. On Friday, let's open the phones, 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. The skill testing question, because we've got to have a skill testing question. The skill testing question is this. How many points did the London Knights have in 2018-19? How many points did the London Knights have in 2018-19? If you want to Google it up, I'm not going to stop you. You just have to have the right answer. 519-643-2222. How many points did the London Knights have in 2018-19? But you have to get through on the phone. You can't email or tweet this to us and win. This is a phone contest. John, you've got the first shot of this. How many points did the London Knights have? I'm going to take a wild guess here. Gawain Gretzky's number 99. Are you kidding that that was a wild guess? Well, you know, I was hoping for 100, but you know what? I'll take 99. That was amazing because you just said wild guess. You pull out Wayne Gretzky's number, and John, you have pulled out exactly the right answer. The London Knights had 99 points in 2018 19. That means you are going to see the Knights and the Spitfires. Well, thank you. Now, when, uh, for what ticket, Mike? I think this is game one. I, I didn't want to say it for sure. I know it's for one of the first two. So it's game yeah. one or game two. I believe this is game number one Friday night, but I didn't want to say for sure. 
Great. Go Knights, go, Mike. Go Knights, go. Hang on. We'll get some information from you, okay? 99 points. And we'll talk about this tomorrow or Friday, but the Knights got tested in two particular spots during this season. And I look back to those two games and say, that's where you saw what this team can do. Because they'll look back over games over even the last week and say, you know, there were things that were happening that just just weren't working. But then all of a sudden a big game comes up, a huge game. Saturday's game in Saginaw in front of a sellout crowd where you have to win or you do not finish first overall. And the Knights ended up winning the game. And for the most part, they they had control of that game. That was not one where he went, oh, look out. Oh, this, they got by on, you know, the, the skin of their fingernails. If that's a thing, that's not what it was. They went out and they won that game. They were the better team on the ice. And they've done that a couple of times. They did that against the Ottawa 67s earlier this year. So if they go in with that mentality and they are able to say, okay, from this point on, that's every game. And you will have a click with teams. Even the last night's team to win the Memorial Cup in 2016. Remember, they were down two games to one to Owen Sound in the first round. And then all of a sudden, something went click. And they didn't lose another game. This team is as prepared as they come. And you just have to wait. I'm, I'm not sure if that was the click on Saturday night. Because it it can come at any time. But when it comes, and they start doing that consistently, game after game after game, look out. And that's a potential that this team has this year. We are out of time. Thanks to Matt McInnes. London Live brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln, 684 Warncliffe Road South. We will be back tomorrow. News is next on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.